0: 1st and 2nd Timothy legacy, and the reason for that is because Paul is passing on the legacy to his son in the faith, Timothy, and Timothy is passing on that legacy to the church of Ephesus. And there's a real challenge for us as we go through these pastoral epistles to really look at who's the Paul in our life and who is the Timothy in our life. So Chance put together that video, and that was actually Mike who was playing the drums, his mechanic shop, and it's a good illustration of how we pass on on a legacy. So if you join me in prayer, let's ask that God would bless our our study of 1 Timothy. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it tonight. And God, I pray that you just meet us right where we're at and that you would give us the energy, Lord, to focus in and study your word. And God, we thank you for people and that truth and legacy is passed on through relationship. And may you motivate us and strengthen us in the area of relationship. So, Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy we're in chapter 1, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to do a blazing speed of two verses this evening. So. Legacy Dictionary definition is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or a predecessor. So that's the world's definition of legacy is that you're passing on something material. You're giving an inheritance, but a biblical definition of legacy, God's perspective is passing on the love of Jesus Christ. And maybe or maybe not, you can pass on something material to your kids. But even more so, are you passing on the love of Jesus Christ? And maybe you say, I don't have kids. Are you passing on that legacy of Jesus Christ to those who are around you? Paul is sharing. He's passing on. He's investing. And Timothy's receiving. He's putting himself in a position where he's receiving this spiritual input. And the result is impact. I think of it this way, if you think about runners and passing the baton, the Olympics when you've got the the relay race and there's that critical moment where one runner is passing off the baton to to the other runner and he's got to grab it in stride and go. And the winners of those races are the expert of passing the baton. And that's life. It's going quickly, it, it's passing by, and if you know Christ as your Savior, then who are you passing it on to? But you've got to give it, but also you've got to receive it. And we need to have a Paul in our life. We need to have someone who's older, wiser, walked with the Lord longer, but we also need a Timothy, somebody that we can share with that's newer in the Lord and it's younger in the Lord. I want you to think about this question for just a moment. Who has impacted you or influenced you the most over your life? If you think of one or two people who's impacted you or influenced you the most in your life, there's a lot of names that come to mind for me. God's blessed me with a lot of wonderful pastors that I've had uh, in my life. Uh, I think of my parents. My parents impacted me in a, in a great way. The legacy that my dad has given to me is one of time. He spent time with me. I remember being a young kid, and he had his lawn mower and he would start it up in the backyard and be mowing the lawn. In southern Oregon, it gets very hot. He'd have his shirt off, and me being a little guy, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, I had my plastic mower with my shirt off, and I was walking just like my dad. And my dad's not a man of many words. He's, a, he's an engineer, but he's a man of consistency, and he passed on a love of Jesus Christ by being there and being in my life. My mom's a, a prayer warrior. I know that she's praying even this weekend for our church services, has a deep love for Jesus Christ and the lost, and, and that was contagious. And when I think about legacy, I've got to think about my parents. And on a pastoral note, I think about a man named Rich Wright. When I got out of Bible college, in school of ministry, I was kind of looking for an opportunity to go on staff at, at a church, and it was surprising to me as a 20-year-old that nobody wanted to hire me. You know, I was... I thought I was so hireable at twenty years old and I'd knock on all these churches doors and they're like, nope, I don't I don't think so. And Calvary Chapel, Nampa, the pastor there is Rich Wright, and his son was my, one of my roommates in school ministry. And he said, Eric, I, I met with him and he said, you know, we can't offer to pay you anything. We can't offer to bring you on staff, but I'll I'll treat you like one of my sons. And he says, you can come live with me while you're getting into transition into Nampa, Idaho. And he's a real father in the faith uh, to me and opened up his home to me. And as a young guy, I ate a ton of groceries, you know, and they fed me for about, about six weeks. And then he just had time. He had time to spend with me. And he'd say, hey, come in my office. And it was a little bit intimidating. And encouraging because before he was a pastor, he was a cop. And so he could just kind of see right through you. And this older man, and I'm I, not kidding, he could just read my weaknesses like a book. And he'd say, These are these ways that you need to grow. And in his little church in Nampa, Idaho, there's this aisle going out of the sanctuary. And during the last song of every service, he walks that aisle while the church is singing and he hugs as many people as he possibly can. And he really gave me a a legacy of a love for Christ and a love for people. And maybe someone comes to mind in your life that's really impacted you. And that kind of brings us into the relationship of Paul and Timothy. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, or this evening, is this relationship between Paul and Timothy. Because that's where spiritual truth is is passed. But let's look at a little bit of a background to this epistle, to kind of lay the groundwork for the next celebration. Several weeks. First is who is writing this epistle, this short letter, six chapters. It's the Apostle Paul. And he's writing this towards the end of his life. From 61 to 62 AD, Paul was under house arrest. And then 62 to 67, Paul traveled freely. And then in 67 AD, Paul was recaptured where he wrote Second Timothy. So we believe that he wrote First Timothy between 63 and 66 AD. And who's he writing to? It's always important when we're studying the scriptures is who's receiving the letter, and it's one man, it's Timothy. And this is a little bit unique because Galatians is written to the church of Galatia. Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus. But this is a letter to one man. He's a young man. He's pastoring this church, the church of Ephesus. So keep that in mind that Timothy's the one that's receiving it. And why did Paul write this letter? Whenever you're reading a book of the Bible, look for that target verse That says why. So look at chapter 3, verse 15, if you have your Bible, and we'll see. Paul tells us why he wrote the letter. Chapter 3, verse 15. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So the reason that he's writing is so we would know how to conduct ourselves. In the house of God, because the house of God is the pillar and the ground of truth. Now, this doesn't mean that we've got to learn how to behave in a church building. That's the wrong interpretation of it. The house of God is the people of God. We're learning how to behave around one another. The church is so important to the Lord. It's what he's into, it's what he loves, it's what he died for, and he wants us to learn how to be able to interact with one another. What's the conduct? How are we supposed to live as the church of God? Because we've been given this great task of being the pillar and the ground of truth. I think that this epistle is so applicable for us today because it seems that churches, the people of God are really wandering. We don't really know how we're supposed to behave and we're looking for this and we're looking for that. And maybe a lot of you are asking these questions is what is church all about? And is it something that I'm gonna be committed to? Well, stay tuned in this study of 1 Timothy. Well, where is Timothy pastoring? He's pastoring. Mastering in the city of Ephesus. And this city is rich with history in the Bible. You want to write down Acts 19. Because as we see this church being birthed, Paul comes and he spends two years there doing discipleship. In the evenings, he would have people come to the school of Tyrannus where he would teach the, the things of God. There's a revival that happens in Ephesus. There's a lot of magic and cult activity and people are touched by Christ to the point where they burn their books, their, their cult books. And the cost of it was 50 talents of, of silver. There's this big book burning. That's when you know God's moving. When people go through their houses and they say, you know, it's time to get rid of this. It's, it's time to get rid of this. And we read there in Acts 19, it's because the name of Christ was magnified. That's why they wanted to get rid of that junk is because they came into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The temple of Diana is there in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the world was destroyed. You can't go see it today. But the makers of the shrines of Diana started losing income because so many people got saved. So they throw a riot that ultimately causes Paul to have to go out to Ephesus, out of Ephesus. So it's worth going back and reading Acts 19, and seeing the beginning of this amazing work of God. You're probably familiar with the epistle to the Ephesians. We know it as the book of Ephesians. This is the same church. And that's also some great homework if you want to go deeper into 1 Timothy, is make sure you understand the book of Ephesians. Because there in Ephesians, we understand the gospel grace of God, that we're in Christ Jesus, that we're seated in the heavens, and then how that grace is manifest in our lives, how it works out in all of our relationships. And this church would have an understanding of Ephesians when Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Even though they had a great letter like the epistle of Ephesians, it doesn't mean there weren't problems in this church. And that's why Timothy is getting addressed, because he's the pastor that's going to have to deal with these things. I love this. I hope this isn't too much for you. I think it's really going to be beneficial. But if you can understand a little bit of what the city of Ephesus is like, you'll know what Timothy was was up against. It's the largest city in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It was a port city on the Mediterranean. We know from archaeology, I had an opportunity to go there many years ago, and they've actually dug up this ancient city. It's one of the largest archaeological digs in the world, and there's these symbols as soon as you got off a boat that was pointing to all of the prostitutes. It was a very sexual and moral place, but it was also highly intellectual. They had one of the largest libraries and ancient history right there in Ephesus. Also, this temple of Diana. So you can start to understand it was a Roman colony. The Romans had taken over it. This is much like some of the big modern cities in America today. We have to understand that sin's not new. Folks, sin is not new. We're not up against something that's new. We're up against the same thing that the Apostle Paul was when he was in Ephesus. The same thing that Timothy was up against. But they saw an amazing move of God in the midst of this very pagan place. Here's a quick outline of this book. Chapter 1 is the church and its message. The church and its message. Chapter 2 and 3 is the church and its members. And then chapter 4 is the church and its ministry to itself. And then chapter 5 and 6 is the church and its ministry to the world. So through Paul, then to Timothy, the legacy is passed on to the church. And we learn about church life in this book. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 1. You're like saying, I thought we would never get there. We are there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's been some time since we've been in a Pauline epistle, so I want to do a quick review of Paul's life. For some of you, this is old hat. For some of you, you're learning for the first time, who is this Apostle Paul? His name was Saul and he was a persecutor of the church because he was a devout Jew. He didn't believe that Jesus was God. Anybody who claimed that Jesus was God was on Saul's hit list. Stephen, who was the first martyr in the book of Acts, was stoned. We find that Saul was holding the coats of the men who were stoning Stephen. He watched Stephen be stoned. He heard the words of Stephen, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It had to have touched Saul's heart. It must have been that seed planted in his heart that would later give fruit to his conversion. But Saul continued in his rebellion, in his hard-hearted ways. When he was on to the road of Damascus to arrest more Christians, many of you are familiar, what did God do? He knocked Saul literally off his high horse. He was on his horse, his horse of pride. God knocked him off of his horse and called him by name, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked the most important question of his life and the most important question in the Bible, Lord, what do you want me to do? He meant it. You're my Lord. I understand who you are, and what do you want me to do? And Saul, who became Paul, he never stopped asking that question. He woke up every day saying, God, I want to live for your will. What do you have for me to do? God took the persecutor of the church and turned him into the ultimate pastor. Maybe you have some people in your life that are antagonistic to the things of Christ. Don't stop praying for them. I wonder how many prayers were offered for Saul's salvation from the early church. You keep praying and watch the Lord work in and through their lives. Maybe tonight you're in an antagonistic posture. You don't know why you're here. It's the last place that that you would want to be, but you're here. You're trying to shoot bullets through my message and just deplete it down. Stay tuned. God loves you. And he has a way of humbling you and calling you by name and bringing you to that place of repentance. Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means sent out one. He was sent out by Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here, by the command of God. God had commanded him to this job of going out and planting churches. This is the important thing for us to realize if we're passionate about Christ tonight, is what is his command for our lives? What's his plan for our lives? And I don't want you to think that in order for your life to be effective for Christ or to pass on a spiritual legacy, that you have to go start churches. Go start churches if you're commanded to. But if you're commanded to be a good businessman, a good businesswoman, then you do that in the name of Christ and you pass on the knowledge of Christ in your workplace. If you're called to be a mom, do that to the glory of God and pass on that spiritual legacy in that place. If you're a father, man, in that place, Do the work of God. I think we've come to believe a lie that you have to work full time at a church or you've got to work at a a ministry, a, a nonprofit, in order to have spiritual impact. And that's not the case at all. We're the body of Christ. That means that we're different, but we all function under the head Jesus Christ. So the important thing is where do you fit? Well, fit in that place and do it to the glory of God. Paul was being obedient. We need to be obedient as well. He says, our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. And in his deity, he's also our Savior, God in human flesh. I I hope that you're taking some time this December in the midst of the busyness to think about what it means for God to come in human flesh, for him to be born in Bethlehem, the least of the cities in Judah. He's our Savior, but He's also Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is the title that's given to Jesus. He's our Master, it's His position in our lives. Also, He's our hope. Now, hope in the Bible is not a wish or a whim. It's not, well, these are my plans, I, I hope they work out. Hope, from a biblical perspective, is this confident expectation of coming good that God is good and that he does good, and Jesus is our hope. And Paul had to live by that many times in his life. Verse 2, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. To give a little sketch about Timothy, we know that he was first young. He's pastoring at a very young age. And second, Timothy, Paul will write and say, don't let anybody despise you because of your youth, but be an example to the believers. Not only was he young, but he was also timid, and maybe the two went together and the jewish culture you, you weren't thought to be listened to till you were 33 of, of age and so maybe he was in this place or excuse me 30 years of age thinking man how can i i pastor and, and do the the things of god he was he was a young man but he was also a timid man but he was also very sick paul will write to timothy in these epistles and say you need to drink some wine because of your stomach you're you're sick all of the time and so dr- try drinking a, a little bit of wine on a regular basis basis to help these issues that you're having with your stomach. And I think that that's one of the reasons that we love Timothy is because he's relatable. Sometimes we view Paul as being kind of untouchable, that he had everything together and he didn't have any struggles. And we know that that's not the case from scripture, but yet we've put him on such a high pedestal. But with Timothy, we go, Timothy was afraid. He was timid. I can relate to that. timid you know he was young he there was something about him and his age that he was insecure about okay i can relate with that i'm too young i'm too old all these questions that go through our hearts and our minds you mean timothy wasn't big and strong and buff and maybe he was always having to run to the restroom because of his stomach problems well i can relate to that you know i i tend to get sick a lot of times and see god doesn't just use the choicest of vessels Throughout church history and throughout the Bible, he uses those that are devoted to him, and he'll use the weak and the foolish things to confound the wise. I think as Timothy received these letters, he grew. He was already pastoring. He was already at the church of Ephesus. From church history, it indicates that he took these things to heart, and he excelled, and he grew in the things that the Lord had for him. To Timothy, and then it says, a true son In the faith. In just a moment, we're going to go back to Acts 16 and look at how Timothy and Paul's relationship began. But for this moment, look at how Paul viewed Timothy. He says, Oh, you're a son in the faith. You're a true son in the faith. Biologically, they weren't father and son. But I don't think you can find a closer relationship for Paul in all of the New Testament. And that's to me what makes this sacred ground. Paul mentions Timothy in six of his epistles, and six of his writings. He doesn't mention anybody more than Timothy. He doesn't give any higher commendation than to Timothy. He loved this young man. This young man was a son to him. They were bonded at the cross. And he says, Timothy, you're a true son in the faith. That had to be encouraging for Timothy receiving this letter. This is a spiritual leader in in his life. And he's like, okay, I wonder what the tone of this letter is going to be. And from the very beginning, it's a true son in the faith. If you're still with me, we're going through verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice that the grace and the mercy and the peace, it wasn't from Paul. Who is it from? It's from our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul was an instrument of that grace, an instrument of that peace and that mercy, but he wasn't the source of it. The source of it was God. And when we express and we extend and we pronounce grace and mercy and peace on other people's lives, it's from God. We're not the source of it. If you're a student of Paul's letters, this is his introduction, grace and peace. It's called the Siamese twins of the New Testament because they're always mentioned together. And you'll always find them in the order where grace is first, resulting in peace. Never peace before grace. Because grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's what God gives to us in Jesus Christ. And when we understand the grace of God, then we also experience the peace of God. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is he's saying, God's grace be with you. God's favor be with you. May God pour into your life those things that you don't deserve. I hope we're rooted and grounded in the grace of God as a fellowship. And Please hear me on, on this. is Grace is not the starting point. A lot of times people look at grace and they go, well, grace is how we're saved. And then after we're saved, it's up to us. We've got to do our best and work hard and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. See, grace is the beginning point, and it's also the ending point, and it's every point in between. When Paul says grace to Timothy, he's reminding Timothy of how he was saved, grace for salvation, but he's also saying grace for living. Now, brother and sister in Christ, church family, gang, do you need grace this evening for living? Has today exposed some cracks in your armor? Some need for God's undeserved, unmerited favor to flow in and through your life and my life? I know we need that as a fellowship. I know that I need that. I'm confident that God's gonna continue working in our church. Why? Because he's gracious. We're cracked vessels and we live by his grace and we're transformed by his grace. What's inserted here that we don't find in the other introductions of Paul. It's mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. There's only one other time that Paul inserts mercy and it's with Titus, his other son in the faith, the other pastoral epistle. This stands out to me because the closer you are in relationship with someone, the need for mercy to be extended. See, mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. I wonder how many times Timothy just blew it. Paul has to write this letter to Timothy because he's not in the best state. Many times he's going to say, I charge you, guard this, make sure that you fulfill your ministry. There's that aspect where Paul is that loving father saying, come on, Timothy, I, I don't want to lose you. And how many times as they did ministry together, did Paul in the learning and the growing process of Timothy say, I can't give this kid what he deserves. God hasn't given me what I deserve. I need to give mercy. Mercy is the oil that lubricates relationships. Without mercy, relationships get rigid and stiff. Isn't that true? Extend that mercy to one another. The peace that flows out of the grace and the mercy is peace with God, knowing that We're in right standing with God. But it's also the peace of God in the midst of circumstances that we go through. One of the strengths of a pastor is hopefully to experience the peace of God in trying times. As there's difficulties in this church, as there's difficulties in Timothy standing in truth in society, in the city of Ephesus, hopefully he could stand close to God's heart experiencing the peace of God. Then extending that to others as well. Let's go to Acts 16, where we'll spend the rest of our time this evening looking at the first five verses of Acts 16. So turn with me there in your Bibles. Acts, the the first book after the Gospels. Acts 16, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 16, verse 1. Speaking of Paul... Then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was a Greek. So we find that Timothy's a disciple already by the time that Paul gets to him in Acts 16. Some think that Paul led Timothy to the Lord in his first missionary journey. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is Timothy's a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. He's committed himself as a young man to follow after Jesus Christ. An interesting family background of Timothy is that his mom is Jewish and his dad is a Gentile. We cannot become close to understand how difficult this would have been for Timothy. Jews and Gentiles, they didn't go together, let alone get married to one another. The Jews were very prejudiced towards the Gentiles. We have no indication that Timothy's father was a believer, but his mom and his grandma was. That's recorded for us in 2 Timothy. Paul tells Timothy, the faith that was first in your mother, Lois, and in your grandmother, Eunice. So Timothy grew up in, in this environment. This should be an encouragement to you if you're married to someone who's an unbeliever. And you're wondering how that's going to impact your kids. That's what Timothy's mom went through. Be encouraged. Maybe you're a single parent. You're a single dad. You're a single mom. And you think somehow that your kids are going to be deficient. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. God is faithful. And what Timothy's mom did is she brought him to the source. She brought Timothy to Jesus. And no no matter what the family situation is, I don't care what you say, every family's dysfunctional, amen? (laughs) All families need to do one thing, and that's go to the source and point our kids to the source. He's what, what we need. And his mom, Lois, did a great job of this, and also his grandmother. In verse two, it says, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. I want you to switch gears with me if you can in your mind, and let's get practical for the rest of the study, thinking of legacy, thinking of how Paul invested in Timothy, how Timothy received from Paul and really applied in our lives. So if you're taking notes, and I hope you do, write down five things because I hope that we're motivated tonight to go find our Timothy. For us as Timothy's to to receive from others. And the first thing that Paul does here, this is number one, is evaluation is wise. Evaluation is wise. When you're thinking about trying to find someone to mentor or disciple in Christ, you need to go through an evaluation process, you need to go through a vetting process. And you're saying, Eric, that doesn't really sound right. Well, this is going to sound worse. You can't invest in everybody equally. Ooh, I don't like the sound of that. That doesn't seem very culturally or politically correct, but Jesus loved and had compassion on the multitudes and ministered to them, didn't he? But he only had 12 disciples. He didn't invest his time equally. Of those 12 disciples, he spent even more time with three guys. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. John. He picked those three specifically to be his inner circle. So if Jesus did that, if Jesus modeled this principle, if we're going to pass on this legacy to somebody else, and we're going to spend a whole bunch of time with them, we can't do that with everybody. You can do that with one or two people. If Jesus did it with 12 and focused on three specifically, we can maybe do one or two, possibly three. So you look around for somebody who's new in Christ, and there's always somebody who knows less than we do. Even if you're six months in the Lord, there's somebody who knows less than you. And you look around, you look around the church, and you go through this evaluation process, and part of the evaluation process is prayer. Jesus, before he chose the 12 disciples, he stayed up all night and prayed. The gospels tell us that. Why was he staying all night in prayer? Because he knew that this was a big decision. These 12 that he would train would take on the message of the gospel to the world. That's a big task to do. So evaluate. Because you don't want to invest your time in somebody who doesn't want to be invested in. In someone who's not a follower of Jesus Christ. And verse 2 tells us that Timothy was well-spoken of by the brethren in two cities, in Lystra and Iconium, and Paul evaluates that. He takes that into account before inviting Timothy to be his disciple. In verse 3, Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So Paul makes an investment, and this is number two, is investment is required. Investment is required. If we want to pass on a legacy, pass on the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's going to take time. We can't shortchange this. Paul's method of discipleship was this. He said, you, Timothy, you're going to live with me. And you're going to come with me where I go every day. And if you continue to read on from Acts chapter 16... Paul heads into a very difficult time in his ministry with lots of persecution, and that's what Timothy was exposed to. Timothy would start the day, and he'd probably hear the Apostle Paul on his knees crying out to God. He probably heard the Apostle Paul reading over and studying the scriptures. As they were walking on the way, I imagine that he heard the Apostle Paul worship the Lord. I also think he saw the Apostle Paul be discouraged. As we read through Paul's epistles, Paul went through great discouragement and confusions and questions. We know Paul had a physical thorn in his flesh, and I'm sure that there were days that were very difficult for Paul with that. This is real life. This isn't books, you know? This is a level of discipleship that goes beyond books. Not that there's anything that's that's wrong with that but this is inviting somebody into our lives and allowing them to see the good bad and the ugly and when we make a mistake to acknowledge that before them so don't think that you've got to be perfect or have it all figured out before you can start investing in someone else it may look something like this hey you know what every week let's get together and grab coffee hey every week let's let's grab lunch together and you start talking with them and sharing with them and listening to them. It may look like this, like, hey, I'm going to do a project at my house. Why don't you come over and, and help me out? When I was doing youth ministry with those junior high guys and high school guys, I would always invite those dudes over when I had a project. Some of them were sitting in the room here. One, it was free labor, but two, it was... Uh, <laughs> great discipleship. It was an opportunity. It was something that my youth pastor did for me. You know, my youth pastor would let me attempt some things on his house that my dad would never let me attempt on my own house, you know. So if you've got a project, you know, bring a bunch of young guys over and say, hey, I'll feed you pizza when we're done. And in the midst of that, you're being intentional to get to know them, what's going on in their life, and be able to share Truth with them. It really comes down to what do you like to do. If you like to fish, take them fishing with you. If you love to go shopping, ladies, find a younger gal and say, "Hey, come shopping with me." It really doesn't matter. But you're inviting them into your life. You're being intentional about it. You say, "Hey, let's get together. Let's play games." You know, come. You like to play games? Come on over. Oh, you don't like to play games? I'll teach you. Come on over. You know, let's let's have some coffee. Let's have some dessert. But you're intentional about it to share the things of Christ with them. It may be to the extent at some point opening up your home and just saying, hey, come in and live with us for, for a season of time, but the investment is there as the Lord leads. And that's why you want to evaluate first, but then you want to make the investment. If I'm reading it correctly, from Paul's life, what he valued the most were these kind of investments. What he looked back on, on ministry was more than the times when he gave, came, got up and gave sermons It was these investments in a small group. And these were the men that carried on Paul's legacy, that carried on the ministry that God had entrusted to Paul. So investment is required. Paul invites him in. But notice that the investment was also made on Timothy. See, it can't just be one way. Paul made an investment, but Timothy made an investment as well. He was willing to go travel with Paul. So it takes that person that says, hey, I'm going to be willing to to go to coffee. Maybe you're on the Timothy end. You've got to be willing to make the investment as well. I see this happening in our fellowship. It happened just Wednesday night. It was right back here. Where you guys are sitting, and it was the end of service, I'm walking out, and you know there was a little bit of an older man in our fellowship, and then there was a guy in his early 20s, and they were sitting right next to each other, sharing life. You could tell they were sharing struggles. They were going to pray for each other. I'm like, God, this is so good. You're doing a Paul and Timothy thing that's happening right in front of our eyes. We're seeing that constantly happen in in women's ministry, where we see older women teaching younger women, and it's a beautiful thing that God is doing in our fellowship. Well, let's look at the third thing as we continue with this verse. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for all knew that his father was a Greek. This is not for salvation, not at all. We already know that the Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised. The reason that Timothy had to be circumcised is because he would never be accepted in the Jewish community. He would never have the opportunity to share with any Jews unless he was circumcised. And so Paul says you need to be circumcised. This is the third point if you're taking notes. Receptivity is paramount. Receptivity is paramount. It's an understatement to say that Timothy had a teachable heart. The first thing that he's got to do as a young protege is get circumcised, He's a young man, but he's a grown man. Ouch, you know what I'm saying? His response easily could have been to Paul is like, you're a real cut up. I'm not not doing that, man. (laughs) Ooh. But instead, he says, okay, I'm willing to be circumcised. If we're going to be discipled, if we're gonna grow, if we're blessed to have someone older that's more mature than us in Christ, we've gotta be teachable. And if no one can speak into your, your life and you're so opinionated that you can't ever hear from someone, then you're never going to be a Timothy. You're never going to grow. And so it's getting to that place of realizing, I realize that this person has a closeness with Christ that I desire. They're being used by God in a way that I desire. So I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to be teachable. And if they say, hey, you need to do this for the sake of Christ. Okay, it's painful. I would never do that on my own. But this is for the sake of Christ. This is so people can be reached, so I'm willing to make that sacrifice. Receptivity is is paramount. In verse twenty or verse four, as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which they were determined by the apostles and the elders. The word they stands out to me. Paul doesn't go through, in the future with his ministry, with an I mentality, he sees it as a team perspective with Timothy. So this is the fourth point, is opportunity is healthy. Opportunity is healthy. He's giving Timothy opportunities to serve as Timothy travels with him. This is discipleship and mentorship throughout the scriptures. Joshua was Moses' assistant, and Joshua was given opportunities before Moses died. Exodus 17, Joshua was already fighting a battle. Moses was already training Joshua up. He was giving him opportunities to be able to to serve. We find that with Jesus and the disciples. He would give his disciples assignments, 5,000 men plus women and children to feed, and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, All right, guys, feed them. And they're like, oh, my goodness, how are we going to feed these guys, right? And he put them in a situation where their need was beyond them, beyond their experience, beyond their resources, so that they would have to look to Christ. So as you're investing in someone else, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, somebody at work. You know, I love how Chance did this video because he showed godly legacy happening in the workplace is give somebody opportunity Give them the opportunity to to work on a car. You're saying, how is that spiritual? Well, by them having challenge and hitting a wall in that, then you're going to have a chance to share more spiritual truth with them. This is how I grew in the ministry. This is how I was taught in the ministry was simply given opportunities. My home church uh, growing up, they had a bunch of fourth and fifth graders. It was a really large church. And my friend, whose name is Luke Lavis, they allowed him and I to teach those fourth and fifth graders every week. And catch this, we were 14 and 15 years old. And many times there was no adults in the room. And there was 40 to 50 fourth and fifth graders. Now, that's some trust, right? You're like, I'm sure glad we don't do it that way at Rocky Mountain Calvary, you know? Are they turning over the the kids' ministry to to 14 and 15-year-olds? I look back, and I go, that's crazy that they allowed us to do that. My junior and senior year of high school, we moved to Salt Lake City, and I was part of a church there. They didn't have anybody to do the youth group. So as a senior in high school, I was leading our youth ministry, and many times there was no adults there, and they gave me a key to the church and showed me how to lock up the church. And I was in high school. I look back at that, and I go, nobody does that, you know? No, Nobody allows that. And then when I moved up to Calvary Chapel, uh, Nampa there, Rich, he pretty soon, very quickly, I'm 20 years old, and he says, here, I want you to start teaching some of our weekend services. When he's gone, he would he would have me teach, and, and it was a, a real real blessing. I came on staff at this church when I was 21 years old, and I started senior pastoring when I was 27 years old. Every opportunity that I've had in ministry, I wasn't qualified for, and I know that scares you, but I'm still not qualified, you know? <laughs> opportunity is healthy. Opportunity is healthy. And so apply that where you're at, whether it's with your kids or in your neighborhood, your workplace in the church is give people opportunity because as they're given opportunity, then they grow. Verse five, so the churches were strengthened in their faith and they increased in number. And this is our fifth and last point is growth is organic. Growth is organic. Notice as this team goes out, Churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in number daily. So the believers, they went deeper and the loss got reached through this dynamic team of Paul and Timothy that was sent out. This is just the beginning of the fruit of Timothy's life. See, Paul made the investment in Timothy and the fruit came eventually. Keep investing, keep loving, keep discipling and the fruit will come As you continue to read through Acts, Timothy got to the point where Paul could leave him to be his representative and his messenger. He was also sent to Corinth. He was sent to Philippi. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, it said this of Timothy by Paul. It says, For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Probably the greatest commendation of Timothy is in Philippians 2. It says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know that his proven character, that as a son with his father, he has served me with the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him... At once, as soon as I see how it goes with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. So we look here in these first two verses as we see that Paul is sharing, he's passing on, Timothy's receiving, and the result is an eternal impact. If you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, you know what, I want more. Maybe you've been coming for a long time. 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, we're super blessed. I'm so thankful for your faithfulness to to this fellowship. Maybe you've been coming for five months. Maybe you've been saved for six months or you've been saved for 40 years, but you're saying, you know, God's doing something in my heart. I could just feel it when I went to church tonight. He's stirring me. You want to have eternal impact. Sometimes it just hits me square in the face. God, I want my life to count for eternity. Then we look at how Paul invested in Timothy, and we say, Okay, here I go. I'm gonna find my Timothy. I'm gonna make the investment. I'm gonna spend time with them. I'm gonna to get to know him. I'm gonna share what Christ has done in my life. And you may say, hey, I'm not qualified. If you wait till you're qualified, you'll never invest in somebody else. Now's the time. And there's so many people right here in this room that are screaming for investment. They're saying, I just want someone to care. I want someone to invest in me and to pour. Into me, and you look for that Timothy, but you also look for that Paul, and you start saying, I need someone to pour into my life as well. But it's inside of these relationships that the kingdom of God really explodes. This is how Jesus ministered, this is how Paul ministered. And there's always room for us to grow in this. There's so much room for me to grow in this, but I am convinced at the end of our lives, this is what we're going to look back on, and we'll go, That was worthwhile. The times that I invested in my kids this way, oh man, that was worthwhile. The, the time that I invested in this particular person in that way, oh, that that was worthwhile. The friendship that came out of that, the fruit that came out of that. Everything that we'll study throughout this letter goes back to this relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul pours into Timothy. Timothy pours into the church. The, Timi- the church is then able to pour into the community. So let's stand and pray. and. Ask that the Lord would help us to apply these things.